This is the 10th episode of the Nifty Nick Show. Today I have on yet another OG crypto collector who's been around for quite a while. Not only is a fan of NFTs, but he has intimate knowledge of the technical aspects. His background in game design and development is perfectly suited for the world of NFTs. This show is all about learning from those with skin in the game in the world of NFTs, and as usual, today's guest is no exception. So let's get started. If you're looking for some crypto, you just found the right spot. We wrap it up one of a kind, NFT straight to the top. Now don't go trading based on comments. We provide in this show. It's not investment advice, but our picks do tend to blow up. Like a rocket, they say. Many people have compared it to people's every day. So if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this space, please do not worry. Your boy Nifty Nick is hot on the case. Yeah. All right. Welcome to the show, Silly Tuna. How's it going? It's going good. Thank you very much. On a good Saturday. I hope it's good for you. Uh, it is going phenomenally well. So I have to start things off by asking, uh, where did the name Silly Tuna come from? Uh, well, when I was at uni a very, very long time ago, I was writing a game for the Amiga, Commodore Amiga, and uh, I was doing it with a, a Swedish guy, and we just wanted a silly name to work under. So he suggested Siltana, which is, I think means herring barrel in Swedish. And uh, on IRC chat, um, people just started calling me Silly Tuna. Um, and it's was like, well, that, that might as well stick. So yeah, that's where it came from. Excellent. And that, so you've been in games for quite a while. That, um, and, and is that what led you into the crypto space? I guess the question would be like, how did you get involved in crypto? Yeah, so I've been working games professionally since 1995, uh, which makes me old in crypto terms. Um, and then uh, we had a game called uh, Euphoria, uh, which uh, was uh, an Apple Award winning game uh, back in 2012. Uh, and someone wanted to buy it in Bitcoin. They, they just emailed us and I'd heard of Bitcoin and I'd nearly had my game studio computers mining Bitcoin overnight in like 2009, 2010, which was a big mistake not to. But at that time, I did actually get around to looking at Bitcoin and to be honest, pretty much since late, certainly since mid-2013, that's almost all I've done is uh, basically Bitcoin and crypto generally. Interesting. Okay, so you, your uh, crypto involvement predates the NFTs. Uh, which I guess uh, the follow-on question would be like, did you get into Ethereum before NFTs? And sort of what has your involvement been on the development side? Because it seems like you have a, an interest uh, not only just in trading these things and making money off of it, but also uh, definitely on the development side and the technical aspects. Well, so firstly, I'm not much of a trader anyway. So I do have some NFTs and I trade a small amount of them. I more just sort of buy what I like. Um, but I, I mean, this, this, this really dates me, but I, back in 2013, I did something called the Bitcoin bundle, which is the equivalent of the humble indie bundle, but just doing it just as a test to try something with Bitcoin. So you could, we got some games, some quite well-known games like World of Goo. You could pay what you want in Bitcoin to get the hold of the games, just like in the humble bundle. And we had a few nice indie devs uh, supporting us with that. And, um, Pretty much, that was my proper intro to Bitcoin in terms of not just buying it and trading it. And uh, there was someone, you might not have heard of him, but I was interviewed by someone called Vitalik Buterin, mm. which was back before Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> he worked for Bitcoin Magazine. Um, and uh, so I, I knew he was doing Ethereum. Um, unfortunately, too late for me to get involved, or I totally would have got involved in Ethereum's development, but I, but I, it was one of the, 
the investors at the time who, who bought the first Ethereum token, um, which was a, a very good buy as it turned out. Um, so yeah, so I uh, I was always interested in smart contracts. As soon as I heard, there's a guy called Mike Hearn who worked at Google and used to do the Java Bitcoin client, I think. Um, before he fell out with the Bitcoin space, he talks a lot about smart contracts and he was the, one of the first people to do it and to explain it. So I was all, it, it took me a long time to really understand quite what they meant. Once you grasped it, you realized that, what a game changer they were. And so Ethereum was just an absolute no-brainer. Um, it was always going to be Ethereum for me. Yeah, you know, a, a, a book that tells the story really well that I've been reading is The Infinite Machine. I'm delayed on consuming it, although I had been uh, uh, had bought Ethereum long ago. Uh, I had not read the storyline. I didn't know about it. I learned from like some random guy in the coffee shop next to me. So I, I didn't know actually any of the technical uh, aspects at that time, despite being a developer. But um, well, that's, a, that's an awesome story. So you were early to the game. So you've been... Uh, did you start collecting NFTs like the moment that like CryptoPunks came out and uh, and and else and onward? I guess. Um, no, I. The reason being that uh, I was writing about NFTs before they were known as NFTs and saying all the stuff that could happen. I didn't spot that they were going to be so big in the art space first. I had talked about art NFTs as being big, but uh, I always thought it was going to be game NFTs that hit first. So I, I own quite a lot of the early game NFTs. Um, including what the one time most expensive NFT was a game character from Neon District called Baus, which will actually become more active this year. Um, but you know that was the most expensive NFT at the time, at 142 or 141 ETH, about twenty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars at the time, which looks like a pittance now, uh, when it's crazy. Um, so I saw CryptoPunks and stuff, but I was busy with a startup. So I, I run a, a startup called Ownage, and uh, when you're doing a startup, uh, especially at that time, you were just completely you were just so busy you just didn't have time to track stuff um and so i i was aware of it all i was aware of some of the artists that came like in the year or so after that as well but it wasn't like i sort of finished with that star stuff after we'd, we'd sort of sold to a publisher and, and moved all moved on that started picking up some nfts and then really i got i had game nfts and i was involved with um investing in for example actually infinity early on um and then this year i just as the art stuff picked up i, I, I was starting on something else but i I sort of moved back into the NFT space because it was like, well, I don't want to miss out having been doing this for, for several years. So so I missed that for the early punk. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I think, uh, you know, the overlap of games and NFTs does still actually seem to be a key dynamic and one that I think is going to, may, maybe art is the gateway to games for, for some people in the sense, uh, in the world of NFTs uh, to a certain degree. Like I just think of some of the game dynamics that have been implemented with NFTs so far, the, the most uh, popular one at the moment, I feel like, is uh, Replicator. But there's like a, bu a bunch of different types of um, incarnations of gaming dynamics within NFTs. So I, I don't feel like you're too distant from it. Uh, and, the, and then there's the virtual worlds, which don't necessarily have much gaming dynamics right now, but uh, you could see some of that occurring in the future. So... So, I, what what are you doing right now? You said you stepped or you stepped back for a moment. Um, I guess with Ownage, is it still the same company? And uh, like, what are you thinking about at the moment uh, when you think about NFTs and uh, strategies for yourself? Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff. Uh, so, the Ownage became part of Fig, who became part of Republic, and um, before that happened, like they closed they closed our part down. It was. It's just not a good time, not good timing for them. It was very unfortunate because we were, what we were doing would have 
would have been really, really good and quite valuable now. So that was kind of sad. But after that, I just took a break, which is what I needed after a few years of doing a startup. Um, and then in terms of what I'm doing now, um, I think it's, it's basically with so much NFT stuff around. I, I had just restarted an experimental project I'd done last year, which is a, a Discord wallet called Mule.WCF, which is really good and which <laughs> I will be going back to hopefully next month. Um, which is just a neat, nice, easy way, for example, for gamers to get involved with NFTs and crypto generally. The problem is that when NFTs took off in February, everyone who I had lined up to work work on it got busy, like really, really busy, uh, and as did I, um, because I wanted to sort of learn more about the the art space, see all the different experiments that are going on. I'd done some stuff within DeFi last year, so I could see the crossover between NFTs and DeFi. Um, I had ideas I wanted to try as well, plus I do consultancy for people and just, just general advisory work. Um, so what I'm doing now is I've got a couple of NFT projects. Um, one is called uh, Incoherence Club, which is, uh, we have a Discord. We've not, we've not really said much about it yet, but it's just a way to sell um, NFTs in a bundle uh, through a proper smart contract. It's basically the equivalent of the Humble Indie Bundle, but for NFTs. Um, so we're just doing an experiment with that. Um, and you and Sabrina, who work on that, are in the audience. Um, so there's that, which is a little side project, and that will be a, a colony-based DAO. Um, and then I've got another project which is not announced, which is another NFT project. Um, we're in the prototype stage. We'll have to see how the prototype stage goes. Uh, and outside of that, yeah, I just sort of advise different people. I invest in the space. Um, and I'm just generally playful, I guess. Um, and I just, on the topic of game NFTs, yeah, our NFTs, they have the little issue that if they're not creative enough, you know, they're quite limited and I think game NFTs will come to the fore. I mean, I'm sure game NFTs and also gamification within NFTs and virtual worlds will, will be really important because NFTs need to have more utility, but the utility can come in multiple forms. Gamification is just one. Yeah, most definitely. But it does add an additional layer and, you know, in the world of uh, digital, it seems like just a missed opportunity not to include, uh, you know, a lot of game, any gaming dynamics inside of it outside of, because uh, once you collect the NFT, uh, yeah, it's in your portfolio. I guess you could, uh, you can't hang it on your wall technically, but I guess you could on a digital uh, digital monitor. Uh, but that's where it's going to reside until you decide to uh, flip it. Um, so yeah, it, it, it adds a, a layer of excitement, um, especially I think at launch. So, okay, so you're uh, working on Incoherence Club. Uh, you are considering restarting Mule uh, WTF, but both of those have um, a deep overlap. Well, no, it sounds like you, you have an overlap with the disc. One just has a Discord. The other one is built into Discord. I'm sort of curious what that even looks like uh, in terms of having a wallet based in Discord. Is it just like a bot based, hey, say how much I have, and then if I like, it's just a command line based uh, wallet? Uh, yeah, it has a web, web version as well. I mean, it, it's a bit of a crossover between CollabBot. Uh, and tip.cc, uh, and a bit but with a bit of a better interface than, than both in some respects. Um, and it started at a similar time as Collabbot, or just before Collabbot, actually. It's just that that's been developed since then because that was someone's job. Um, so Mule, Mule is like, it, it did restart. It literally is two weeks from an alpha test, but you know, we need developers to do the alpha test. And <laughs> as I said, everyone just got very, very busy. So we just sort of had to, had to hold it for the second time, which is a bit annoying. Um, but you know, hopefully we'll go forward to that. But it's, you know, you can. I posted a load of screenshots from what I was working on on the uh, Mule WTF um, this uh, Twitter bot, uh, Twitter account. So you can find that. And um, yeah, it, even if we don't quite do that as planned, 
Um, I do intend to continue playing around with Twitter bot, with um, Discord bots because there's an awful lot you can do with them, even though there is a very limited interface. I've got other, I've got quite a few other interesting ideas that are, are just playful, and because I don't have to have a commercial imperative, which is, provides a lot of freedom, I can just be experimental and with the people I know who are, who have interesting ideas. And that was my plan for the entire year was to just be experimental. Um, and then the NFT explosion happened completely unexpectedly. Uh, and it's just, I wish it happened three months later because then I'd, we'd have had like more things ready um, and more availability. Um, but you, you can't, you, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, no. NFT the explosion has been amazing and is going to force a lot of technology to improve and a lot of immature systems to actually sort themselves out a little bit, even though it'll take time. So although I've got you know, these different projects, in reality, all I'm really trying to do is be playful. I don't, I don't, I'm fortunate that because I was in the space early, I don't have to sit here and have a commercial project. Um, I can sit here and try and find things that are just interesting to me to do or interesting for other people to see. So it's, yeah, I've done the startup thing. Um, I have some startup stuff still um, that's in, in different domains and in the game industry as well as the blockchain industry. But there is a, there is a, a line between the commercial side of startups and me just, just having some fun, basically. I mean, yeah. even like the crypto I own, well, I own several, but this alien bunk is me, was me experimenting. What happens if you buy a COVID alien? Like, what happens to you? What's the reputation change? What opportunities open up that didn't happen before? Uh, how much does it having as an avatar matter? Um, what can I do with it? Could I sell it? And how much can I sell it for? So all these things came into buying it. It was just about being playful, to be honest, because I could do it. And I thought it actually, from a, you know, a money point of view, I thought there was, it was probably a good buy. And I think it probably has been, actually. Yeah, it, it probably has been. I don't know when you got it, but yeah, based on the current market, uh, I would agree. Uh, also, I have seen from other individuals who have CryptoPunks just the impact of like having that um, uh, avatar on Twitter uh, can alone just attract a bunch of followers. So it definitely does have uh, a digital social impact. So I have a question from the, since you do have a more uh, nuanced understanding of the technical aspects of it, you know, I was actually listening, you've been hosting a lot more clubhouse events and I listened to one the other day uh, and you've been really, you know, helping people navigate the space. One thing that you were helping people navigate is the distinction between different types of tokens and what makes them all, uh, all different. I'm sort of curious, like uh, what, there's, there's an emergence of a bunch of different platforms and from a developer ecosystem, as you were saying, it's drawn a bunch of attention and it means that there's the user experience is going to improve over the next three, six, 12, 24 months, you know, three years even and, not, and beyond uh, at, because this boom has attracted a lot of engineering talent. Uh, what are you looking towards as you think sort of um, in the NFT space, just even theorizing if you want about like what technologies are really interesting to, to you right now? And I can even be a little more specific about that. I look at other platforms which are saying, hey, it's the future of Ethereum. So like layer two technologies, side chains, other things like that. Um, Immutable X is one that comes to mind. Polychain is another one. I think that's the name of it. There's, um, oh, sorry, Polygon. There's another one. Um, then you have the other blockchains like Flow. And uh, I'm blanking on the other one right now. Which of these do you think are... Tezos. Uh, what, what was it? You're thinking of Tezos. Uh, that's that's one. There's another one that Tops was built on top of that starts with a W, but um, uh, Wax. Uh, Wax. So, so w what are your thoughts on these different technologies and where do you think people are going to go uh, in the future? Are you betting you know, heavily 
just on Ethereum and think that that's where the wallets are going to be? Or do you actually think that some of these other platforms uh, are really promising and people will have it in uh, different types of wallets? Well, firstly, you said you didn't know when I bought the Alien. Well, there's a story to that which we could talk about because it's very interesting. Uh, but secondly, uh, in terms of the different technologies, um, I've always been a bit, I'm not an, a hardcore Ethereum per se, but I think it's very important to understand why Ethereum is most popular and has survived a, a lot of, not better technologies per se, but certainly technologies that have, that have a different set of weaknesses. For example, Ethereum is really bloody expensive to use it's pretty, and it's pretty slow. And you think that's a terrible weakness, but it still gets away with it because it's where the money is. It's become the premium chain. But I think what you're seeing with NFTs is that Ethereum is the premium chain that people really want to be able to like, have the big projects on or sell on. But the layer twos offer, layer twos and Tezos and Flow and so on offer advantages over, like in terms of transaction costs. And that, that's really, really important. And, and also, sometimes the experience as well can be better. So what's interesting to me is not so much NFTs on those platforms um, because it's, you know, they're not necessarily much different in some sense. Uh, it's about how those platforms are going to connect to each other and about how, how NFTs will move between the platforms because that needs to happen. Much more importantly, uh, and I mentioned this on the Clubhouse yesterday, uh, is in terms of, at the moment, for, if you want to find all the work by an artist, you pretty much have to go to their Twitter and find, look through their link tree and then try and discover where things are. And even that isn't very easy, especially if they're on things like Rarible. We need proper, a proper directory. Um, so as users, we need to be able to go, go somewhere, type the name of an artist and see all their work and see all the pricing. Um, as, as a developer, we need to go and have an API to use to look up this information. Um, honestly, almost everyone at the moment is using OpenSea's API which is not a good situation. It's not even OpenSea's business. It's not a good situation at all. Um, the graph have started doing a, or have an NFT API, but it's not so reliable. Um, so Artblocks are using it and they discovered it. it it's, they discovered the, the, the downsides just at the moment. And so there is a problem in the space over the lack of good resource for all of this data and, and how NFTs will connect to each other between different chains. And it's, it's all interrelated, to be honest. Um, and it's just what happens if you have lots of disparate systems. The advantage of decentralization, though, is that there are all these disparate systems, but they're not just being run by some company somewhere necessarily, uh, putting aside some metadata issues. So we can all access the Wax blockchain. We can all access Tezos. We can all access um, you know, the Ethereum blockchain. So we can all get the information. So if someone can put a suitable business model around it, then someone will make this work. Whereas ordinarily, you have to go through, you know, in the game industry, for example, like, you might sell your game on Steam or on the Apple App Store. And getting hold of the information is impossible. It's really, really difficult. You have to sort of scrape information, break some of the rules. We don't have that in blockchain. So at least these problems can be solved. Like it's a technical and financial problem. It's not a, a political problem. It's not a negotiation problem. It's not a data availability problem. So that's what I'm interested in. I don't, I don't really care about the different chains. I care about connecting the data up. Yeah, I do think it is definitely uh, a challenging problem, though. And I think back to the days of Facebook, for example, Google was trying to, uh, at the time, create something. It was called Open Social. It was going to be this standardized uh, format through which uh, you know social media platforms would uh, give you m make things accessible. And the goal was to an attempt to open up uh, the walled garden that was Facebook. 
And as we know, you know, today that was a complete failure. And also all of the social media platforms are all siloed uh, for, the, for the most part, unless uh, one's owned by Facebook in which they're trying to uh, combine all of that. I, I, I am more optimistic, I think, in the cryptocurrency space uh, that there's the possibility of that happening. But there's not much financial incentive for, well, there is, I guess, for some of the, for the lower adoption uh, platforms. But a company like Flow, for example, well, the company behind Flow, but Flow uh, would be that just raised a bunch of money at a ridiculous valuation. They don't really have a strong incentive to offer interoperability. What they have a strong incentive to do is uh, provide the best user experience possible. So I'm partially kind of a skeptic that, that like that interoperability will ever occur uh, strictly because there's people with massive financial incentives to not enable that and instead say, look, you can go buy NFTs on those places, but do they offer partnerships with company X, Y, and Z? And uh, the answer for that is probably going to be no. Uh, and that's the thing that I do fear uh, and think has a major possibility of occurring. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm also just spitballing on this, but um, uh, historically that hasn't worked well, but it's also not in the ethos of the decentralized nature of uh, the crypto space. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I, or, or sorry. Well, you... I was going to say, on, I can be quite specific on that topic. Um, so the lack of interoperability has been my problem with Flow. And it's fair to say I've had, had conversations with them about it. Um, they are doing certain things that will make it easier to achieve certain other things. Um, so you're going to find some of that does change. And uh, you know, to some extent, it can be done by third parties anyway. It doesn't have to be like, integral to the way the flow blockchain works. They are doing some things which will make it a bit easier. Um, but this is something that third parties can do. And plus, besides, it doesn't stop the data availability. The data will be available. What you're talking about is, can you move stuff between the chains? But that can be done by third parties. It doesn't have to be done by Flow. Um, so I'm, I, I think, I mean, I wish Flow had spent some more time on that, but, um, but there is stuff that's happening and uh, yeah, we, ha we have to see over time. But I, I, because you're talking about decentralized platforms, the worry you have there doesn't really exist. What Flow might, what's more interesting for them is to take, say, Topshot, which is a product, is whether the top shot has some restrictions on what you can do and what they what, what we supported because top shot is a product yeah. you separate that from the blockchain so i think i think it's easy to confuse the two um uh, but i think it from flow's point of view like for example you know you're going to see certain things on flow that are on other chains like that's that's that is inevitable which is going to happen it is going to happen this year yep that makes so sense it's not quite how you see it yeah i i, I the distinction does make sense. Well, I, I'm hopeful uh, and optimistic, so I and I appreciate your opt optimism as well. Uh, I, I want to bring it back real quick. You said there was a, a story behind your CryptoPunk, so I'd love to hear it. Yeah, well, the basically, I it was, basically this happened during the Beeple sale. So it was was it the, I think it was the night. It was three days before the Beeple like sale went through at sixty nine million dollars. I had the an opportunity came up basically. And I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to do it before the people sale had, had a sale price. Because I thought that would change everything. Uh, and you could see it going in that direction. So I basically negotiated it over 48 hours. So it was quite a quick negotiation. Uh, agreed a price, which I felt, I, and I genuinely felt I was overpaying. I've not revealed the price, but I felt I was overpaying. But I thought, no, this is still worth, worth this. I can, I can take the risk. Um, 
I, the night we went to do the deal, I literally sat down and had pizza with my partner and then did the deal like an hour later. Uh, and about an hour, hour and a half after that, we saw that uh, I got a message from Red Lion, who runs Red Lion Eye, like a, an yep. NFT team. I got a message from him because he knew I was doing this because I was talking to him about pricing, saying, oh, it's, com- it's, it's public because I hadn't revealed it yet. It's public. Like everyone can see what you've done. And I went, well, well, it's public. You can see it's moved. So that's fine. But I've not announced it. And he posted the link to an alien. And it wasn't the alien I'd been talking to him about. It was another alien. Um, and that alien went for 4,200 ether, I think, which was about $7.5 million at the time. Yeah. Which, so literally an hour, just over an hour after I bought mine, someone else bought one for a considerable amount more than I bought mine. And then the next day, the Beeple sold for $69 million, and another alien went for 4,200 ether. So it was a very interesting 48 hours, very interesting 24 hours, in fact. Quite life-changing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I think also, I mean, obviously the recent um, the, or the upcoming CryptoPunks uh, auction uh, has only inflated the values further around uh, CryptoPunks. Uh, so w- you had mentioned potentially selling it at some point. I mean, I guess there's there is always a price for everybody, but are uh, I'm curious what, outside of uh, your considerations of selling it, which I am interested in as well, also, how these experiments have actually materialized, and if you're seeing similar things um, to what I've seen with some other users who've uh, grown an audience essentially off their CryptoPunk. I've grown an audience off two things recently. One is the alien punk, and one is uh, talking a lot about NFTs and the environment, which is a whole other topic. Um, and yet, but yes, the CryptoPunk has been very useful for us. It, it, it gives you a certain amount of recognition, and I, I've got several other punks as well. But obviously, this is. This one is sort of quite recognizable, um, but you know, it's you know, this was a very expensive purchase. It it, it has a price, or it, I don't know what that price is, but it has a price. Um, it, it's not a permanent addition to my collection, whereas other things would be permanent. Um, as an experiment, it's been very very interesting. It's definitely opened doors, which is why I bought the previous uh, like most expensive NFT as well, the Bounce NFT. It, it just opens doors. I can I can see it as an expense. With this one in particular, though. It is an investment, and uh, I hope to profit from it. And I certainly wouldn't sell it for less than I paid. I, I would only sell it for significantly more than I paid because I can I can afford to hang on to this for 10, 20 years if I need to. Um, so you know, I consider it valuable, and I consider it a hold unless I can make a significant profit from it. And I consider CryptoPunks generally to be a, a very solid long-term play. I do not see them going away. They will always go up and down in price. Um, but I do not see them going away. I think they're very, very solid, solid investments. And I think some people will have theirs and they just will not want to sell them. In fact, I know people who've got them, not planning on keeping them and not really knowing much about them. And then you give them the chance to sell them. Like, nope, nope, I'm not selling it. I, I've grown to like it. That's me. That's my avatar. And uh, that's, that, that, that's very fascinating. Like, it's the, it's the psychological part of it. That's one of the reasons I believe in CryptoPunks. Yeah, I've had people on the show already who... Um have definitely committed to just uh, holding indefinitely, although they have others and some of them they may end up selling. But in general, uh, there's no rush behind selling it and they really do believe in it. And I agree, you know, it's the first, uh, I guess, art NFT technically, uh, and it's ERC 20, not um, 721, which adds a whole other layer to it. And I think, or (laughs) removes a layer, I guess. But but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, there's a historical context for those who are uh, aware of the space. Okay, so 
we're, we're limited on time. I usually cap this show at about 30 minutes. And the question that I'd have is like, what are the resources like when you're um, navigating the space outside of just reading and uh, crypto Twitter, what are you looking into? Like, who are the people that you look to uh, as you navigate this space who are sort of um, helping provide a greater understanding, help provide context, uh, help, you know, find new opportunities and information? Like, who are some of those people and resources? Oh, my God, that, that the list is too big. I, I mean, I actually have. <laughs> In, I have to tell everyone, look, I'm not around for a few days because I've got all these bookmarks and emails I just need to get around to reading because of all my research. And it's, it's, I mean, I remember the days when uh, I could go to Reddit, like the Ethereum, in fact, it was first, it was the Bitcoin subreddit, then the Ethereum subreddit. We all knew each other and that was all you needed to do. Um, now, like I never visit those places, almost never because they're irrelevant. Um, so Twitter, uh, there are so many people I follow on Twitter but you're talking, whether it's Jamie Burke, DCL blogger, um, uh, I can't remember this is the first name, Andrew Weinstein, I think it is. Um, oh, God, there are just so many. Um, G-Money, uh, uh, Gabby, Deja, Gabby Dixon, Deja, oh, God, I can't remember his name, Gabby Dixon. Um, man, it's just, there are just so many. Uh, uh, Jeff from OpenSea is actually quite good. Uh, sorry, uh, from Terra Virtue is quite good. Uh, obviously, the OpenSea guys. Um, uh, Loopify uh, on the NFT side, uh, on the sort of NFT art side. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Pranksy, someone's just talking to me. Uh, Pranksy as well, a fair bit. Um, uh, there's oh, Justin, who obviously does some of the crypto caps and punk stuff. Um, yeah, the list, the list just goes on. I mean, I, I do. If anyone follows me on Twitter, I do retweet quite a bit of the interesting stuff that comes along, and also. Um, I'm not just about NFTs. I do follow the crypto space generally. Um, so I'm very interested in the technology. I'm interested in which what, which technologies are good. So uh, I, I follow anything around Cosmos, Polkadot, uh, and Affinity uh, in particular. Um, Affinity is the one that's going to be really, really interesting going forwards. And with the disclaimer, I was a seed investor. But also, if it can do what they say it can do as a first, as a, even as a starter, and I'm told it can, um, not perfectly, but it can do stuff, Definity is going to be a game changer in this space. It might include being a game changer for NFTs going forward as well. Not yet, but, but going forward. Because uh, Definity as a technology works completely differently from everything we have in the same way that Ethereum worked completely differently from Bitcoin. Whereas everything else, is, or almost everything else, is still very advanced versions of Ethereum, let's say. I mean, really good stuff, like really, really good. But Definity is something else. Definity is more about replacing parts of Amazon AWS. Uh, and things like and, and and web servers. Not all of them, not everything, not by any means. But the intention is to be able to replace quite significant parts of them, and that's a that's a real game changer for the decentralization space. So I follow all those people, but I'm also following those projects and developers of those projects and users users of those projects because that that gives you a heads up as to what's coming. Whereas if you just follow like art NFTs or game NFTs, you're seeing what's there and some ideas. But it's important to know what what people can do in the future. Yeah, most definitely. I hadn't heard of uh, Definity, but I have heard of different file storage systems. But you're saying uh, this is more so than just um, like Filecoin and things like that and storage and um, blankets. There's one with an. Oh S, yeah, but... I mean it can do it can it can do what they can do, and it can do way 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 more. Yeah, um, but I have to use it, uh, and we'll see. And it's 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 been going for several years. It's so delayed, incredibly delayed. Might actually come out in the next few weeks. 
for just the te- with a te- with your technology head on, it's a very very interesting technology, and it'd be interesting to see how it develops. Um, just like Ethereum, it's going to be really rough, I think, early on, um, and take a few years to get going. I mean, one of the things that people don't realize is how how rough Ethereum was in those early days. I mean, it's still rough now, yeah. but those the first few years. <laughs> They were incredibly tough to do anything. Most of our startup time was spent dealing with Ethereum and Ethereum issues as a community. We didn't really get enough done um, because the tooling didn't exist. There were so many problems that happened. It was really, really hard going. Um, but yeah, so just going back to the question, you can follow me on Twitter because I will retweet other people. You can follow some of the people I mentioned. If you, you know, I'm sure Nick can, can write those down. Um, but make sure you follow the technologies. Um, don't get fooled into thinking certain technologies are any good. Hello, Cardano, you're, you're not any good. Uh, but but there are some really really good ones, and um, yeah, the, the people that work on those are going to be the, doing the next super creative, amazing things that we haven't yet thought about. And so that that's why you know the cosmos, the polka dot, and the definitions of this world are important. Yeah, I've been trying to follow as much of that and uh, get tr- like the NFT stuff is very exciting, but it's very easy to get distracted by a lot of the high-priced, you know, uh, purchases of various NFTs, but that doesn't ultimately change the day-to-day technology, which really is the biggest question, which is who can develop the developer ecosystems around this? Who provides the best developer experience? I mean, Stripe is a great example of that. Uh, And I think we're seeing the same thing uh, in this space. And I've seen some pretty exciting uh, projects come about that make the development experience more accessible because I... As a developer who's been uh, full stack for like 20 years, um, I've been reading books on Ethereum and been like, okay, I got to just bite the bullet and learn this. Uh, it's still very challenging to wrap your head around it quickly. And and suddenly you can get distracted with a million things that are going on. Um, and it, yeah, it, it can be challenging to navigate. So I definitely uh, think we're early on and it's exciting to see some of the projects like the ones you mentioned, Polkadot, Definity, and Cosmos. So, um, I mean, yeah. If you're doing full stack, then you should definitely be looking at Definity just to see what it can and what it can't do. Uh, it's, just, it's just a very different experience. Yeah, the the hardest part for me has been, uh, and I just need to look at, I haven't gotten to the Web3 chapter yet, and I've looked into Web3 and I've looked at the SDKs for it, but uh, figuring out how to connect the dots between uh, the back-end component and the front-end component. But anyways, that, that's like my own uh, uh, personal navigation of um, of the space. But uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, it was quite insightful. And yeah, um, how, how can people uh, follow you? The, you said on Twitter. What's your Twitter account? Uh, Silly Tuna. I'm basically Silly Tuna everywhere. Um, so certainly on, on social media. So on, on the best place to do is think, think to do is follow me here. Um, I do a podcast or sorry, a clubhouse, 10 o'clock UK time, um, pretty much every Friday. Uh, and we have some different OG cryptos on there. Uh, and it's a very open podcast. So we just have, we, we don't go in with a plan. We just have an open discussion and bring people on, on the stage to talk about stuff. Um, we try and keep it quite fast paced if you haven't been to it. Um, other than that, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. That's the be- best way to do it. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. No, thanks very much for inviting me. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode of the Nifty Nick podcast. And if you made it this far, make sure to subscribe at thenifty.com. Thanks again.